Hi, this is Zohara with The Soloist, conversations on music, soul, education, life, and many things in between. Welcome, friends. Today, I'm in conversation with Paul Kadzo. Paul is a psychiatrist, psychotherapist, and an artist. He holds a medical degree and fellowship of the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists with a certificate of advanced training in consultation liaison psychiatry. In addition to his medical qualifications, Paul has Masters of Arts in Creative Writing and the Bachelor of Arts Honours, majoring in Painting. Paul had short stories published and two painting exhibitions, as well as being a finalist in a number of painting prizes. Paul is a father of three sons who learned with me, which is how I got to know him. We talked about death, grief, and the journey of mourning. We talked about Paul's exhibition named Journey into Mourning, which is based on grief that is passed down through generations. We talked about how trying to make sense of things experienced in childhood led him to become a psychiatrist. We talked about Jugen, an aesthetic experience about the flow, about the gift of consciousness, about existentialism, about the Suzuki way and reverence to the learning soul, about helping children reveal their gifts, choices that define our lives, the building of character, parenting from a state of fear, and much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hi, Paul. Hi, Zahara. I've been waiting to talk to you for quite some time. Um, I just love talking to you, that's why, but all the rest will unfold as we are talking. So I have said a bit about yourself in the introduction, mm-hmm. but it's just really just a bit of the bit. And I'd like um, us to explore more as we talk about. Maybe I will tell you that one of the things which drew my attention and um, curiosity and interest in you, um, straight as I knew you, is the beautiful combination of you being, apart from being a very sensitive and deep and warm person, your, um, how can I call it? Your ability to look into the soul, and I know you're a psychiatrist and psychotherapist, but not everyone can do it. And the combination of this and being an artist, and I will attest that I I visited one of your exhibitions, and it was a wow for me, just a wow. It was not somebody who, is painting and doing art because he wants to express himself. It was just so deep. 
I really loved it. So I feel that I really would love you to touch this and then feel free to go to any place. Yep, so that, that, um, that exhibition was called A Journey Into Mourning um, and was the morning was M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, but playing on the idea of a dawn rise as well. And um, it was uh, based on the idea of um, grief. Well, it was based on the idea of what gets passed down the generations that you may not even necessarily know has been gifted you from the previous generations, some of it good, some of it bad. But in this particular instance, it was about the, the kind of passage of an awareness of, of family and love, but also an awareness of loss that came down through my family. Um, and the kind of key um, elements for me in that were that um, my mother um, was very close to her mother. Um, uh, and when I was six years old, um, uh, her mother died. Um, she was only 65. She was not you know, that old, although she'd been ill for a number of years. And that kind of changed um, uh, a lot, you know, in our family life, of course. And, uh, and then two years later, or maybe a year later, it wasn't very long afterwards, uh, one of my cousins, who was only 12, um, was killed in a horse riding accident. Um, and the difference between being a six-year-old and losing my grandmother, who I loved dearly, and, you know, a year or two years later, losing my cousin, Michael, was that, you know, in that time, I developed enough to understand what death actually meant. Um, I have a very powerful memory of standing in the bathroom the day my grandmother had died and my grandfather, who was a very uh, tall man, was, was in tears. Um, and I said to him, um, you'll be okay. Grandma will come back. And I had this belief for years, which was just magical, that the ambulance officers had taken grandma somewhere and they were holding her. And I was angry that no one would go and get her. Um, but then two years later, when my um, cousin died, you know, I actually understood that Michael wasn't coming back. Um, and that that was something we all had to, um, you know, learn to live with. Um, and most recently, just, you know, again, thinking about some of the stuff you've been going through, Zahara, a lot of the stuff you read about grief talks about the idea of adapting to absence and adapting to loss. But I read something recently which really struck me as actually being what it's about, because it's not the end of the relationship at all. Um, it's, it's about continuing the relationship um, by yourself. Um, but it's about the connection. Like the, so again, like this is my kind of thought about the difference between mourning and grief. And, and, and grief in particular for me is when you first lose someone you love or something that you love. It's just that terrible aching hunger for them. Um, you know, they're, they're not there. Um, and the journey you take of mourning is that you get to a point where you can think about the person you've lost and in thinking about them, you can think about their totality. So you think about the good and the bad, the strengths and the weaknesses, and you have a sense of connection to them rather than a sense of the absence of them. Um, and it's not a complete consolation, but it's something. <laughs> mm. Two, uh, two questions arise as I'm hearing you, and I had no idea we are going to talk about grief and mourning as well, 
and I'm just fascinating. I mean, I just to see how um, things things just happen mm. in such a beautiful um, orchestration, even though we were not the directors. Uh, first, I wanted to know about what you said about um, when your grandmother was, uh, when she died and you thought she's coming back. Is it because mm. someone told you she's coming back? No. No. I think, I think developmentally, well, I mean, they do say that by the time children are around eight, they actually can understand the concept of death. And before that, they often can't. So, you know, intellectually, you you just develop to the point where you actually can understand what death really means. Um, and before that, you really can't. Um, uh, you know, there's I have a number of memories from that day. Um, my grandmother was a, I was very, I've been very blessed in that my parents are lovely, wonderful people and their parents were, you know, truly lovely people. Um, and um, my grandmother, um, she had an, she had six children and she had a number of grandchildren. Um, I always had a belief that she um, loved me deeply. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and that's a real gift for a child to have. Yeah. And I think part of it was, part of it was just trying to say something to comfort my grandfather, who I had never seen crying and probably never saw cry again um but some of it was just about couldn't could not could not conceive of a world in which my grandmother was not going to be present <laughs> wow and so that that yeah. exhibition had a number of paintings which were based on they were based on family photographs um uh and one of the things that you know i learned from those photographs and you know, which just made a slight, not a, not a, well, one of the things I learned in those photographs was that my grandmother hated being photographed. Um, uh, so there's a, there's very few photographs of her. Um, there's, there's one photograph. My mother was a, was a, was a very good photographer um, you know, and took a lot of photographs. Um, but there's a photograph where she's come home um, to visit her mother and her aunt and her father, who her, her aunt lived with them. Um, and uh, the You're photograph. about your mother now, yeah? Yeah, my, no, my mother's mother and my mother, my mother had gone home to visit my grandmother, okay. my great aunt and my grandfather as a young woman um, yeah. before, before she got married. And there's a photograph of um, the front of my grandmother's house um, and my mother's car is parked in the, in the street. It's a small country town in Western Queensland. And my grand, my great aunt is just inside the gate wearing a very soft looking um, cardigan. And if you look closely, you can see that my grandmother has ducked down behind the car. Um, so you can see her hiding herself um, because she didn't like to be photographed. And photographs aren't everything, but they are a trace, you know, that we do leave. Um, and so one of the things I did in, the, in that exhibition was painting, you know, my grandmother and reconstructing her face from, you know, partial photographs and and partial memory and also my knowledge of my own mother's face um, and I painted my great aunt who died between my sister who's two years older than me and um, and my birth um, my great aunt died in that period and she was also a very significant person in my mother's life um, and I painted a picture of her never really having seen her um, but which my mother um, said captured her um, so that was a nice kind of you know, nice um, kind of element of that. Um, lost the train of thought there, Zahara. 
That this is so beautiful because I'm thinking how she could she hide she was hiding. She didn't want to be photo. But then you become an artist, and as an artist, nobody can hide from you. You decide how how what what portion of of your art of your painting or picture you are actually giving to her. It's like okay, now I'm going. To, it's just I, I love the development of this one. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the and the. The, the thing is, it's the attention. And this is, you know, one of the things that I think is really important in, in life, but certainly in, in a creative life, it's what you attend to and giving deep attention to things, which, you know, is where the profundity of your life mm. ends up existing. And I think it's mm. so easy to get distracted. And, and it just makes me really interest, interested this part of you that wants to give the attention to the thing that you are painting, is it something that you think started evoking in Paul the child? Uh, well, I think it's what, I think it's a mind state that children have when they're playing. Um, and, and certainly for me, I drew a lot as a child and um, I have a, I have a, you know, as we're talking, I have this memory of my father built a um uh, an aviary for me and i had a i had a um, collection of uh budgerigars that i just loved they you know it was there was a tree in the middle of it and um and i have this memory of lying on the ground you know this is in western queensland it was hot and dry but i'm lying on the grass next to my aviary drawing and playing um and that it's that kind of um and I can remember that, and I can probably remember that because I was drawing. Um, I think it's a way of recording something about what you're attending to. Um, How old do you think you were then? Probably, probably around six, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit older. So is the poll of today giving uh, expression to things that started to interest you, make you curious as a child? I think so. Okay. And I'd love to know, we'll go, we'll come back to your art, uh, definitely. But I'd love to know, where does this lead you to become a psychiatrist, a psychotherapist? <laughs> well, we're going to keep talking about death, Sahara. Um, we will go back to death as well. <laughs> so, it's just that I want it's a few points. Oh, well, no, I, yeah. But this is the reason I'm a psychiatrist, um, I think. Um, in in the in I didn't particularly enjoy school a lot um, for lots of different reasons. But in the the school that I the last school I went to, I went to three different schools, and the last school I went to was actually a school where I was um, I had a lot of opportunities and a lot of growth happened for me there, and I made some very good friends there, and 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 certainly I was treated more kindly and more gently by the teachers there than elsewhere. But it wasn't. It wasn't, it was still a fairly, like lots of schools can be, it was a fairly harsh environment um, for kids who, um, you know, were, um, you know, not in the mainstream or were a bit unusual. And in my year 11, so when I was 16 years old, uh, a boy from my year suicided at school. Um, uh, and, and the way the school reacted to that really at the time really un, really bothered me um, 
uh, and and subsequently, um, one of my very good friends from that year, the year after we finished school, she also suicided. Um, and again, um, you know, that, that's a great tragedy because because when a life is ended, all of the all of the choices and possibilities that might have happened um, don't happen. You know, it's it's yeah. it's an end. Um, there were six of us that went to medical school from that school, and three of us became psychiatrists. Um, and you know, I I think that that experience, as awful as it was, um, certainly contributed to me thinking a lot about this. But you know, I was also I'm interested in people, and I'm interested in you know, I've always been interested in stories, and um, you know, that's why I wrote. Um, I, I topped the English um, class at school. It was the only subject I did top. Um, you know, it was something that I was always interested in. So, you know, the, as a specialty, um, it probably, you know, matched me quite well. But those kind of experiences where you just, you know, these kind of um, experiences, you have to find a way to try and make sense of. Um, and also, you know, it, it kind of, I guess, um, leads you to want to do something about um, maybe mm. stop dying if possible or I'm just is well, you know, you can't stop dying we're all gonna die um, but I but I guess try to help people find hope um, try try to help people find meaning in life so that so that they can just put one foot in front mm. of another until mm. things get better until time gets better I'll tell you what I'm saying this was just a poor joke but as 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 Yoram actually died, and I was just at the beginning days. Not that I'm just seven weeks now, but I remember feeling that there's no way I'm going to survive this pain. Yeah, the the pain is excruciating. And then I thought, I know it doesn't matter if it was the child in me or it doesn't matter. But I had this very strong feeling. How come? I know that half of the population is going through this because one, one half is dying, the other one, the other half is grieving or mourning, and then until they die. I thought, how come that so many people go through this and nobody protested? We just, we need to gather and, and decide, we need to declare that death no more because it's too painful. That yeah. was my, my immediate reaction of it. There's no way that people need to suffer like this. So this is what, this was the reason they say, maybe abolish death. You know, um, I'm listening to you, Paul, about, uh, you mentioned something about mourning and grief before. Yep. And it might be just definition or definitive definition. And I definitely don't know the professional literature definition. I was under the impression, I'm, I'm new to the grief, to this mm. kind of grief, because I have lost my mother and my father and many friends and relatives and colleagues, but I never lost a partner of 47 plus years which yeah. feels to me a different story. Yep. And uh, I'm thinking for me, I thought that grief is, is like the, the landscape. It's like, I'm now, I'm now, I've been thrown to a new world and this world yeah. is the world of grief. Sometimes feel like a zombie land, I have to say, but it's yep. just a world of grief. And what I'm doing in, the grief, in this world, I'm, I'm mourning. I thought that the yep. mourning is like, but maybe you don't know that uh, English is not my mother tongue. 
So maybe that's what I, that my connotation, that mourning is the action that I do when I hold, when I cry, when I don't want to leave. Uh, that's the mourning, that's the verb. And the gr grief, the noun, is what... This is not a new world. Welcome to the new world. You didn't book tickets for here, but this is where you are. Yeah. But you're saying, you were saying it actually the opposite in your understanding. Well, so... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, the way I would think about it, and, and again, it's just my where I've kind of landed, I suppose, um, is that mourning is a process. So it is a verb. Um, and it's a it's a it's a it's a process that you travel along and travel through. And and grief at least starts as 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 a feeling. It's a it's a it's just a it's just a rawness. And it's also I also think it's a fact. You know, it's the fact of you have lost someone, um, mm. and mourning is the what you have to do to make sense of that, um, uh. and and make sense of the fact that you're still here. Um, this this person that you deeply love is gone, and you are still here, and the sun still rose the next morning. And, you know, the wind still blows and the kangaroos still <laughs> pass. Um, yeah. And his flowers, the flowers that he planted are still blossoming. Sometimes yeah. some are still blossoming. It, yep. it's, 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 you know, it's just uh, such a journey. And I'm not even talking about the journey of dying, which is yep. a whole new chapter. I'm talking just yep. about, as you're saying, he, he's not here. And yep. life goes on, and I need to find my my niche in this new yep. life. And I remember but, reading. Sorry, go on. I'll, I'll I was going to say, but but Yoram is here because, you know, we all have some memories of him, and you and your family have very deep memories of him. Mm. And and and, you know, initially it's just the 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 kind of the. It's like a it's like a storm cloud. It's so. It's so big, the the kind of him not being here, but eventually you get to a point in which you can remember a sense of him in his totality, which which brings him close again, and it feels like a connection rather than a rupture. Hmm. So beautiful, yeah. I I remember. And, and bloody hard work, Zahara. Bloody hard work, yeah. <laughs> Bloody hard work. And sometimes even if you decide to do the work and you put up, I, I put up my sleeves, and there's no way I can actually find the, the energy to do it. Yeah. It's, you know, I read somewhere and it's so interesting, you know, that grief, death were not actually my main uh, occupation. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden I find that the thing which really interests me the most now is grief, grief and mourning. I mean, I still love doing what I'm doing. I still love my piano. I still love teaching. I still love meeting friends. But somehow it comes, it needs to come for me to this topic. And I, mm. I will not even create it. I will just hope that it comes to it. I like, I have no idea we're going to talk about grief and mourning, you and I. So yeah. it's, a, it's just a gift for me that we talk about this too. So I'm, I'm reading a lot about grief and I'm writing, writing, writing. For me, the writing is, is really the raft now to go through the days. Uh, yeah. and interesting not playing people say so 
it must be the music that takes you. And I said, I, I do play, but when I'm really in deep shit, excuse me, this is my podcast, so I don't have to censor it. <laughs> um, I cannot play. There's no way I can make music, but I can yeah. write. I can write. Writing yeah. for me is writing. So I read somewhere just a, few, a couple of days ago that when we lose someone, actually we have three losses. We lose the person. Yeah. We lose the relationship we had with the person. I mean, the live yeah. relationship. And we lose ourselves. Yeah. Because the Zohara that was here, not just the definition of Zohara, the wife of Yoram, she's not here anymore. I'm trying now to dig or to invite and pull strings, which I know almost like were existential in her. She can still come alive, but there are many things that I cannot actually invite anymore. So it's, yeah. it's, we are losing ourselves as well. And I'm wondering, do you telling all these things about the experience, the two experiencing in two years apart as a child and children usually don't analyze it this way, but is, is there anything that you can look to this time and see something of it, or maybe see something in your art? Yeah. Before we do that, can I just say something about what you just said? Sure. The, three, the, the three things you said were that you lose the person, you lose the relationship, you lose the self. Mm. And, and what I would say is that you only lose the person, that you still have the relationship and you have to find a way to make sense of the self. Um, does that make sense? And it makes sense. It makes sense. That's this is the the development of this is the higher the yeah. higher version of it. Yeah, the yeah. raw experience is that it's lost. She's never yeah. going to come back. Yeah. 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 Uh, absolutely. And actually, what you're saying giving is giving me hope. And I think I'm just starting to experience in the last few days, just a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, and just to jump, you know, I mentioned to you before. Um, before we came on about Jung and that Japanese aesthetic concept. Can you which, spell it again just for listeners so they can get it? So it's Y-U-G-E-N and there's there's a kind I'm not very good with grammar terms, but there's a there's an accent above the U. Um, okay. And I and I that's how I say it. I've never heard a native speaker say it, but it's a it's a very it's it's got a like a thousand year kind of um, history in in Japanese aesthetic culture. Tell me, tell but, me more, but, tell me more. Yeah, so it boils down to, and some of these experiences, I think I think you will recognise, and I think you probably had these because I've, you know, I, anyway, um, it boils down to this this experience often in a, in a twilight, so sunrise, sunset, so, um, you know, as darkness is gathering, there's this experience in which um, you, you in, usually in, in confrontation with nature, there's this sudden kind of flowering awareness of the vastness or the vastness and the majesty of the universe and the melancholy melancholy tragedy of human life and it's and it's an aesthetic experience it's not it's not a it's a fully alive experience it's not it's not a torture it's not a bad thing it's not a it's not a meaninglessness it's this sudden flowering of a connection that you're you're part of all of that um and and, and for me it's that um, it's the moment of um, where you're actually aware of the, the great gift of your consciousness. Does that make sense? Not yet. It just interests <laughs> me. 
interests me. Well, I, so, I need I need to get some form of so it. Let I'll, me I'll, touch. Let me touch it. Yeah. So this is a, this is um, a form of art. Well, no, it's an aesthetic experience. So, so it's it's okay. it's an experience you have, um, and and in in traditional Japanese culture, it would be part of it. Again, I'm you know forgive my pronunciation because I don't know, but no theatre, um, which is spelled in just in English terms N O H, I think, um, which is a form of it's very high culture. It's very um, ritualized, um, and there's kind of archetypes on the stage, and it's often. Uh, um, associated with like there's a kind of drumming and 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 it's a very um, you have to be culturally sophisticated to experience it but it's also associated in Japanese culture with um, po poetry um, um, and and in the poetry it will be you know they'll often uh, it'll be a kind of there'll be something about nature there's some sense of you know being in nature um, and a, a sense of time passing and a sense of the transience of, of consciousness, of co the transience of life, but the rightness of that, the, 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 the place of that, that it's part of this, you know, majestic, enormous universe. So this is something which is in the reach of everyone, everyone who wants to. Yes, it's a transcendent experience. Transcendent experience. And, and... And I, I personally think that the that the, the reason we engage with art, the reason we seek out music, the reason we you know walk along the beach sunset is that we're looking for those transcendent experiences, which actually give us that sense of I'm okay, I'm 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 nothing, and yet I'm connected to everything. Paul, is this resembles the flow that they talk about? Um. No. No. Okay. <laughs> so, so Good. yeah, it's no, it's no and yes. Um, flow, flow is. I a can handle flow. no. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, except I'm a psychiatrist, so it'll always be well. No and yes. On one hand, there's this. <laughs> okay. On the other hand, there's that. That's that's what we do. We yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> we we tease we tease out the ambiguity, mm. um, and tolerate the ambiguity. Anyway, so flow is it flow is a state in which you are engaged in an activity yeah. which is engrossing um, and it usually involves some expression of skill and you are at the expression of your skill which is you're extending yourself um, but you're not so extended that you're getting frustrated and the key element of it is that while you're engaged in that activity you lose track of time mm. and you look up and go oh god it's seven o'clock i better go and make dinner um, because you've been so engrossed in what you're doing, that's that's what that's what flow is, and flow is a very important mental state to see, because it is, um, you know, it's a it's a marker of good mental health. It helps you um, feel content in your life, um, and it can and it can be expressed in all sorts of things. Um, you know, people can get a state of flow from gardening. You know, I'm sure you have got a state of flow in gardening. Yeah. You can get it. You know. Um, playing music um, you can you can get it making art you can get it journaling you can get it um, um, you know um, making a cake um, um, as long as it's something that you're deeply it's about your attention being deeply engrossed in what you're doing I, I get it because it's a different it's a different <laughs> feel that when I'll go on the beach and I'll have this moment of <gasps> I haven't done anything it's just I was just thrown to this place yeah 
Yep. I'm yeah. definitely going to be interested to read more about this, Jürgen. And I've ne never heard of it before. So is this being actually expressed in your paintings? <laughs> well, I hope so. I'm not sure it was very successful, but that's what <laughs> that's what the exhibition I had last year was about. It was about trying to well and and it, and it was happening in the in the so there was a period of time when the pandemic started when you know the well when the pandemic started and we had that six weeks we've been very fortunate here in Australia and other parts of the world have had a very different journey but but there was a six week period where where we didn't know where we were going to land um, you know and we didn't know what it was going to turn into and everything changed we were, we went into lockdown um, uh, you know my um, uh, I couldn't see people face to face anymore. I had to do it via technology, which has its own kind of problems. I was dealing all of a sudden, like like in a normal consulting day as a psychiatrist, you will have people at various parts of their journey of recovery, hopefully, and you'll have people in various states of um, distress. But in that period, everyone was in the same state of fearfulness because we just didn't know where we were going to land. Um, and I was unable to paint for a period of time. And, you know, and, and up until then, I'd been doing a lot of painting of single figures in, in the landscape um, because I was already thinking about you then. I was already thinking about, you know, existential kind of concerns and existential joy and the transcendent experiences which come with an awareness of that life is finite and, and it'll end. Um, so I was already thinking about all of that, but then I just couldn't paint at all. Um, uh, you know, for a, for a period of time and, and like literally couldn't even walk into my studio. Um, uh, um, I would well, go in and I'd... Not because of a lack of time, because you couldn't do it. Yeah, I couldn't do okay, it. You couldn't do it, yeah. And I, and I think this is what you're saying about, you know, music. I think I, think I was in a survival mode. Mm -hmm. um, and I was also using an enormous amount of energy, um, you know, dealing or helping people deal with what we were all going through at mm -hmm. that time. Um, but I would go to the studio and I would reach in and turn the light on and I would look in there and then I would turn the light off and walk away again. Um, wow. Like I would not step across the threshold into, into my studio. And the way for me to move out of that was to um, think about the process of painting rather than, um, so, so just put some paint on the board and, you know, scrape some paint off and make a mark and see what happened. And to focus to focus more on that and to, to paint um, non-figuratively, paint abstractly, which I hadn't really done before. Um, mm. And that's, and so that's was, yeah, that's how you started back again. Well, that's how so that's how I got back again, and that's what the, that's what the exhibition was, um, you know, of abstracted works. Although you know there were people could see traces of, you know, of um, nature or traces of things in it, um, including you know in some of the paintings traces of. Um, figures even, um, but it was that it was, you know, in in the, you know, in the in the that first kind of year of the pandemic, um, um, and in particular in that first kind of time when we didn't, well, there were no there were no vaccines, there was no treatment, um, you know, there were all the horror stories coming out of Italy at that time, um, um, you know, uh, yeah. we didn't know where we were going to land. Yeah. So in, in what way, and maybe the, my question is just proving that I, there's something which I did not understand, which I'm not trying, I'm not going to, to, to um, hide it. In what way, what you're telling us about um, Jürgen and your art 
and COVID, in, in what way actually it reflects existentialism? Well, for me, for me, um, so for me, there's a few really important concepts of existentialism, but the, but one of one of the one of the kind of um, key key elements of existentialism is that it does, to an extent, um, acknowledge and accept the finiteness of life. So it kind of almost begins with you need to think about this because you're going to die. Um, um, you know, you don't have forever, and there's no, you know, within there are there are there are there are amongst the existential philosophers that there are some who were profoundly religious, and there were lots who were complete atheists. Um, um, but it didn't anyway. So the, the key elements of existentialism, I suppose, for me, are that you are thrown into a moment. Um, so they they talk about thrownness. You 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 you're there. You arrive. Um, and and there's some facts of your life which you have no control over, but there are also some possibilities that you that you um, um, that you have. And and the thing about ex one of the key concepts of existentialism is that there was there's nothing before existence. There's no essence. There's no there's no you know there's there was nothing. There's no God spark. There was nothing. And it's the choices you make in your life that create your character. And create, um, you know, your goodness and your badness, um, and and there's a freedom in that, and there's also therefore a, a responsibility in that, that can be um, quite challenging. So, and you can and you can feel despair, like and certainly um, some of the existential novelists wrote books that are just, um, you just you you would read it and think, oh, what's the point? Um, because they, they they talk about the kind of abs the absurdities of life that you know they're including you know one one school of existentialism thinks about death as an absurdity it's a, it's the, the greatest absurdity you, you're gone it's how can that you know how can that be anything other than an enormous joke um mm -hmm. but i suppose for me it's about focusing yourself and and also being aware of choices that you make um because the choices that you make and what you attend to actually create your life um there's a there's a there's a thought experiment that the existentialists suggest, which is that you um, <clears throat> imagine what it would mean if you had never been born. And and if you had never been born, well, your parents wouldn't miss you because you were never born, and your partner would never miss you because they never met you, and your children wouldn't even exist. Um, um, so you know, there's a, it's about well, from my interpretation of that thought experiment, is two things. One of them is that it makes you aware that your life is very precious mm. to you. It's very precious to you and needs to be treated as something precious. But also, if you do that thought experiment, the thing, the, the painfulness of it is actually thinking, well, what if my partner never met me? Or it's it's the it's it's kind of an it's kind of a rehearsal of all the loss. Um, mm. And so it makes to me the how just crystal clear that in fact yes the choices you make in life are important but at the end of your days it's almost certainly going to be the relationships it's the people you meet and the experiences you've had which are going to count mm. so so it, going back to the exhibition then the the, the idea of Jürgen for me it was about kind of um, paintings that were like an archaeology of choices that you would you would make a mark 
put something on top of it or you'd do something in response to that. So you were kind of documenting choices that you were making and, you know, editing and in that way making something which for me was trying to reflect something of those really important aesthetic transcendent experiences of Yugen. Mm. There was a there was a many years ago now you posted a um a little clip of you at the beach singing um a Hebrew Eli. song. Eli, yeah. And I asked you at the time if I could share it. And this is why I think you have you know the experience of Yugen, because for me, you that 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 very warm voice singing a language I don't understand next to the ocean mm. um was just mm. that that was that's Yugen. <laughs> Is it my Yugen or your Yugen? Well, for me, it was Yugen. <laughs> I'm just, just beautiful. I'm very touched by what you're saying. Well, Paul, you just, just create so, so many uh, um, questions, like interest questions. First of all, I was wondering if you can give me, and maybe the listeners, uh, recommend a book or an author that writes about Yugen experience. Is there anything written? This is me loving um, books. Well, there's a... There's a uh, um there's a there's a there's a yeah so there's a treat a thing uh, yes yeah, so i can't remember the author but okay. a treatise on japanese aesthetics which gives a nice kind of description of yugen maybe you can even send it to me later i'll put it in the show notes yeah if, if you there's want a, yep there's a there's a famous um japanese essay which has been republished uh, translated and has recently been republished called in praise of shadows and again i've forgotten the author which mm -hmm. isn't really isn't really about yugen um but it is about, you know, um, it is kind of about Yugen because it's about the, you know, that it, um, looking into the shadows and seeing the glimmer of, um, you know, uh, a copper uh, pan, um, that in the shadows, the richness of that, because it's in contrast to the shadow, mm -hmm. is more powerful. Um, yeah, so um, I, I, those are the two that I can think of offhand. Um, yeah. Your words and the things that you're saying is like a like a road. It takes me to a place of thinking, oh, now I want to go there. I want to go there. I want to go here. Where should I go? So I'm looking at my notes. Where should I go? I don't know. They're all beautiful. Let me just pick randomly one. Okay. You can Japanese, Suzuki, Japanese. Yeah. Yep. Japanese culture. Do, do you see any... Any connection, any maybe association, anything that you this comes to your mind? Well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say reverence, um, mm. and and this so this would be my impression of what I hoped my sons would get from <laughs> from their exposure to Suzuki education, and certainly what my experience was as I was trying to you know learn the piano. It's it's both the reverence of music, but the reverence to the learning soul. Um, you know that there's a um, <sighs> yeah. I um, love what to say, yeah. Mm. Like going to you know the the cons the performances um, in yeah. your studio. The the most moving ones to an extent for me were those, you know, little, little children who were at the point of sitting at the piano and then doing their bow. Mm. And it was, and it was 
just as um, it, just as aesthetically moving as the most skilled Chopin. Um, mm. But and so important in terms of community, um, like that that little person, we are going to um, treat your performance with the same reverence, you know, as we would mm. someone who's much further along. So, I mean, yeah, so it's a long bow to draw, but to me that's the thing about Yugen is you have to be open to it. You have to have the mindset and you have to be able to treat your own experience and your own self in that vastness with reverence. I love the word reverence because I think it's the rever reverence can be uh, just a word. It is made of the number of letters in the word, but it can be a very, very long word of reverence. Mm. And it is a process. And I'm thinking yep. how reverence is such an important part in anything which aims or works around the whole and yeah. I, I always say that suzuki um talent education is a holistic way of education of playing of learning and the yeah. reverence that the part of the reverence is if it's not there it becomes a forced thing yeah like almost like a forced skill yeah. 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 Mm. And that's 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 tragic. And it happens so many times. Yeah. Yeah. It happens so many times. Yeah. When um, just in, in, in my area in education and not just music education, education in general to see how um, let me put it on society because it, then it doesn't sound as if I'm criticizing parents and i'm not criticizing parents that's why when society has got these high demands on parents to put the demands on the children to excel and or to succeed in life and or to do something which will serve them and the children are being thrown so far from really their soul yeah because i believe that everyone is born with a gift yeah. And the, what is the gift? The gift is something to share with the world. And it's not that which brings me to the question uh, I'll, I'll ask after we'll talk about choice. So it's not that the child, you know, parents say to children many times, you can become whoever you want. You just have to want it enough. I, I completely do not believe in this. Yeah. I think a child should not become whoever they want. I think what we need as educators, as, as mentors, as parents, grandparents, to look into the child and to see what is this child gift mm. so I can really help them develop it. So it's yeah. seeing into the child and not dumping on the child what we want the children to become. Yeah. And going back to existentialism, um, you, you, actually, you actually can't be anything you want. Mm. You, you know, one of, the, one of the things of thrownness is there's the fact of your life um you know you were born that year you were born in that place you were born in you know that race or gender but there's also the 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 possibilities that are available to you which you know relate to an extent to you know the, the factness of your life so a person who is born in um uh, war-torn syria 
-hmm. does not have the same possibilities as a person born, you know, in Budrum. Um, yeah. um, that's, that's not fair, but, but that's actually the case. And I think sometimes when you say to children, you can be whatever you want, you're actually denying their reality. They know there's someone else in the class who is faster than them. There's someone else in the class who's better at maths than them. There's someone else in the class who's taller or has the right kind of hair or, you know, like, yeah. and I think the more powerful message is your life is important. Yeah. And what you choose to do with it is your freedom and your responsibility. Aha, uh -huh. so this is where, is this what you meant? Because here I am going back around circles and I'm coming to the place which I wanted to go before. I chose one way, but it leads, it led me to another way. You were mentioning choices before, that it's yeah. your choice. Now, yeah. I, I, I just know, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you did not mean this kind of choice like all the, I'll just call them in general, the new age people that say it. You can choose what you want. You make your choices and you can be, everybody can do whatever they want. It, there's, the, the word choices I found has been misused. Yeah. And I'd like to know what you call or how you see choices. What kind of choices you see? Yeah. So uh, in existential terms, it's, it's three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. And... I can go to my studio and do some drawing or I could go and do some weeding or I could lie on my bed watching YouTube videos. Those are, those are choices that are actually available to me. They, they, are, they are possible. Yeah. And what I actually do defines my life. If, if, I, if I choose to go to the studio, I'm creating my character. If I choose to lie on my bed watching YouTube, I am creating my character. It's a different character. And I don't have the choice of, I don't know, I'm getting in a private plane and flying to Los Angeles because <laughs> that's not actually part of what my range of options. Okay. And if, if it was, what I, if I chose to do that, that would define my character. Does that make sense? Wow, it makes sense. You know how one of the things that Suzuki was always teaching is character first, ability yeah. second. And it's the building of character, which I know it's a very strong thing in Japanese way of education. I mm. forgot the name, but it's, it's, it's helping. No, it's building character, which is the most important thing. Yeah. And yeah. see, in, ex in existential terms, mm -hmm. they, they talk about, I've, I've just, there's a word for it, which I've forgotten, but it's basically where you've, you've lost your way. Um, and part of it is distraction, but part of it is a kind of false, um, a falseness of letting someone else say how you lead your life. So following a, following a religion or where, where a priest says you must do this or you must not do that um, and therefore that's what you do or don't do mm. you're kind of giving up the ownership of your own life in doing that um, and that therefore is a dead end because you're actually not taking responsibility for your own life you're not actually you're not actually um, living authentically um, if you give up 
that responsibility. You're not defining your own character. You're letting someone else say, this is who you are, this is what you should do. Just a bit, but just to go back one bit to the, the idea of parents yeah. and, you know, the helicopter parent is a parent coming from fearfulness. Mm. And helicopter parenting happens more in a time when people have a sense that things are going to get worse. So climate change, pandemic, um, you know, uh, technological development, this is a time when parents are going to be more fearful for their children. And the economists say to us that the generation below mine um, is the first generation that is just not going to do as well as their parents did. Yeah. They're, they're not going to have as many material options as their parents did. And my children, you know, the generation after that, um, that's the path they're on. So I don't, you know, you said you didn't want to criticise parent and, and I don't think it did, you know, it, it's parents trying to do the best they can, but it's coming from a state of fearfulness. And, and like, if you can acknowledge that you're fearful, um, you can make choices based on that. But if you don't know that you're fearful, you're just going to end up pushing that onto your children um, in a way that mightn't be helpful. And this cannot be attained if you don't have the willingness to inquire, to self-inquire, to go yeah. to see a psychiatrist or psychotherapist or to read the books that you need to work. I mean, unless you really want to own this part, there's no way. Am I right? There's no way yeah. you can actually change it? Well, I think change probably happens. I, th I mean, I think change happens inevitably. You know, life makes anyway, us change. Okay. Um, um, if you want, if you want to direct the change in a particular path, then you do need to try and be more mindful of the choices you're making, because that's what actually is going to define your character. So if you choose to lie on the bed, watching YouTube videos, you can do that. Um, yeah. But it's defining a character that if you actually reflected on, you might go, I don't think I want to be that person. Mm. So let's start a story or like a joke is starting. Three people came to the bar. One was, so you are a psychotherapist, a psychiatrist, an artist, a thinker, a philosopher, apart from the fact that you're a beautiful soul. My area of, um, I'm, I'm always called to do anything which has to do with music and education, mainly education. So mm. how... What can, how can you help me to help parents? Because, you know, I do quite a lot of work with parents. And yeah. I have to say that sometimes, especially now, at the last, since COVID started, uh, when COVID started, I found myself doing lots of online um, mm. gatherings and circles for parents, for teacher trainers, for teachers. I wanted to put people together. At some yeah. point, maybe also because Yoram became sicker and sicker and I needed to look after him. But also I, I had this sense of, uh, I would say despair. Again, maybe it was my personal one that was reflected in, in the world. But in many things, things which happen to me now is happening to the world. So I really see the resemblance of, of my loss and, and what we lose in the world. I really sometimes think, I don't think there's anything I can actually help parents. And then there's a voice in me says, do you have a word? Maybe just word, don't give a lecture, just a word. Not always I have something. Can you, can you help me? Well, I guess the, the, um, it's a question. 
um, and 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 it's a question of particularly in the in the world we're living in at the moment. Um, are you afraid? If you're afraid, is it real? Mm. And if it's not real, what can you do with it? Obviously, if it's real, you need to do something with it. <laughs> yeah, okay. And wouldn't some people say it's real because it's so real in the head? Yeah. So um, going, you know how you can't, you were saying there are times now when you cannot play the piano. Mm. That's because you're in survival mode. Yeah. I, I couldn't make art last year because I was in survival mode. Um, and because there was actually an imminent threat and at the moment there's this overwhelming kind of life experience that you have to process. Yeah. Um, that, was, that, was, that was actually where the life energy needed to be. But you can't actually have transcendent experiences if you're focusing on survival. And can you really parent in a, in a, in a soul-nurturing way if you're frightened? Mm. And it is frightening being a parent, I have to say. Especially now. Um, yeah, especially now and especially when your children turn into teenagers yeah. and do want to make their own choices. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so if you, our children want to make their own choices are we going to trust them yeah to trust them yeah, because they're going yeah. to yeah yeah i mean and 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 it's it's and that is scary mm. but the risks may not be what you think you know the things that i worry about for my children may never ever be something they actually have to deal with yeah. So like a really small thing, one of my sons recently um, with one of his friends um, painted his fingernails um, and they looked beautiful, but it made me anxious about uh -huh. him potentially dealing with aggression in the world. That's my fear. Mm. And if he does have that experience, then it's my job to help him with that. Mm. but it's not my job to say you go and scrub that off because I feel like I'm protecting him from something that might never happen yeah so beautiful yeah it's challenging like I'm looking at it thinking mm. yeah 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 but that's the that's the challenge I think it's the whole thing of us trying or wanting to save our children our beloved ones um I, I'll go again to the grief, the mourning, which I'm going through uh, at some point, quite early actually in the disease, in the, in the terminal illness mm. of, your, of his yeah. cancer. I knew that this, the way that he's dealing with this, it's his way. And mm. I have no idea what's the best way for me to save him and, because I can't save him. And that's not even my, it's, I can't save him. That's not my role. And if I want to love him and help him, I need yeah. to be by his side yeah. and, and just uh, caring and walking in this journey of death, in this valley of death with a, with a beloved one, enrich my life so much, knowing how actually little do I know. And the, the, more li the, the smaller, the little I know, it in, I don't know if it makes sense. I felt that my heart becomes bigger and bigger mm. because yeah. 
the, um, it's not even information, it's the experience and, and the living became such a big thing for me just to live by, a side, by the side of somebody who is dying. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, it sounds trite, but the, the grief is the inevitable cost of love. Mm. And I am willing to shoulder that grief because it's the love that makes this all purposeful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Let's do a shift. <laughs> I can stay in, in silence for quite some time. Maybe I'll do it after the recording. Um, Paul, what else would you like to talk about? Or what else would you like people to know about you? Or what else would you like to tell me about you? I don't know, Zahara. Um, I mean, I think I think we've talked about some very deep, mm. you know, big, 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 big kind of things. Um, I, I suppose, I suppose, I suppose I would say that oh, I think that the challenge of life is actually working out what your life is about, and. And we each need to do that. And some of us will have, you know, perhaps an easier journey of that than others. But that is that is really, you know, the point of it. Um, you know, that you have, and, and you can only do that if you pay enough attention. Mm. And, and, and the world, and in particular, you know, technology nowadays, will do everything it can to distract you from that. And it won't get easier. It just get, it will get more. Well, you're just wasting your time yeah. um, because you because you're not you're you're living distractedly. You're not actually living. Um, yeah. You're you're only living if you're actually attending to what you're doing, and you can't do it all the time. You know, you know, like you. But the more you do it, the more contented and grounded, I think you'll feel. I, I totally agree. I know that I made a few rules for myself a long time ago. I mean, I like. I like uh, computers and I like social media sometimes and I like being able to connect with people via Zoom. I like all of this, especially when we go to lockdown and that's the only connection we can have. But I made mm. some, some um, decisions in my life quite a few years ago that when I wake up in the morning, I don't open computers, I don't watch, I don't reach to my smartphone because if I do, and I have tried to do it a few times, I'll just reach to my phone, I'll just see the weather or whatever. Immediately, mm. that's it. It's gone. I'm gone. I'm, I'm gone. Mm. But uh, thank God I'm not doing it. And it's just, uh, this is really the time for me to sit in the sun, to listen to the birds, to go for a walk, to do my morning journal, to, do, to, to converse with soul, to write, to play the piano, to do all the things which I now, then I say, I'm ready to face the world. And sometimes people actually get a little bit annoyed at me. I called you and you didn't reply or send you an email. Didn't you read it? No, I was just sitting by myself. I just needed not to do it. So when people say to me, but there's no way to get ourselves away from, from this, it's not true, actually. But as you said, it's taking the choice. Yeah. And sometimes it's really tempting. <laughs> yeah. 
and and a lot of the technology nowadays is designed to to trick our attention to yeah. capture it yeah. because that's yeah. how you know they get information about us and how they make money but sure. you know did you ever did you ever see did you were you ever aware of the tv show that was i think in the 1970s or 1980s the, the waltons um no so it's a know. it's a it was just a it was a show an american kind of tv show from when i was a child that was about a family um i think it was probably set in the depression era but they got a telephone uh, and there was a scene where they're 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 at table there were there were like you know six children or something um they're at the table and the phone rings um and <laughs> someone gets up to go and answer the phone and the father says no no we're, we're eating dinner we're here but that will wait yeah that's it that's it and and just before we finish paul i've got i've got a question might be personal so you don't have to answer where does the art how, what's the word um, or yeah, I, where does the art, where does the art contribute? Or what is the, um, um, not meaning, what's the role of art in the whole constellation, which is called Paul? Um, it's the way that I try to look after myself. Um, mm -hmm. It's my pathway, I think, to trying to understand world it's certainly the pathway for me to um so if i wasn't painting i wouldn't have been aware of Jürgen. it wouldn't have led me to think about connections to you know existentialism and the connection to my own life and my own profession and um so from you know it's kind of always uh it's, the, it's my pathway um to to understand things because i think um, one of the things I found really difficult when I went to medical school was, was there was this constant um, statement, you know, that we're scientists and, you know, a lot of medicine is science. Um, and certainly the first three years of medical school, there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, hard biological science, um, including, you know, including um, physics and anatomy and, you know, all those sorts of things. But I didn't feel like a scientist. Um, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't, that didn't ring true to me, um, you know, and, and on one level, I would feel confident saying well, I'm a human. And I think that the intellect is definitely, um, you know, part of being human, but, but there's also feeling and there's also those mysterious experiences you have that are, that are only made sense of aesthetically, that you can only like if you um you know you know that i um like arthur rubenstein playing chopin yeah. um and if you sit and listen to that there's a there's a there's an experience that you will have that you can never have <laughs> any other way mm. So you are a psychiatrist and psychotherapist and an artist, among many things, but you've never thought of leaving psychiatrist and just becoming full-time artist? <laughs> um, Knowing how talented you are. Well, I'm, I'm, 
not at this stage, I guess. So I, I mean, obviously, I do think about it, and I'll and I'll and I and I guess I'm just as we, as we, as you asked me that question, this clarifies for me because it is it is it would be it would be wonderful, and it would be you know um, it would be a different kind of that would be a different character that would be a different person. Um, but the work I do as a psychiatrist and a psychotherapist is also very important. Um, and what art does for me at the moment is more personal for me rather than necessarily being part of a dialogue or something to necessarily share. Mm. Beautifully said. I totally understand. And, and as you said, this is important and this is important. And these are now, I understand, the choices that now you make in order to build the character of Paul, the current Paul. And if at some point you will change this, the choices, you'll make other choices, then it'll extend another character. Yeah, mm. that's right. So beautiful to talk to you, Paul. I'm wondering, is that, with pleasure, I wonder if there's a, anything that you want or a way that you want people to find about you, either like um, as a psychotherapist and psychiatrist, or maybe there's any link that can show them uh, some of your art or... Um... I, do ha I do have a web page for my art. There's not, there's not, there's not um, you know, a lot on there. Um, and I also uh, post my art on, on Instagram. <laughs> okay. Um, so... Uh, on Instagram, it's Paul Cadzo Art, and I think that might even be the name of the website as well. Um, the website. I love it. I'm, I love it yeah. that you're not sure what's the name of the website. <laughs> the website is just uh, paulcadzo.com, but yeah. Okay. Would you mind uh, sending me the link so I'll put it in the show notes? Okay. Sure. Yep. And yep. maybe you'll also remember the name of the, um, the book that you said, or maybe you already. Told me. I will. I'll, I'll, I'll send yeah. you the names of those books, and I'll mention one other book to you. I don't know if you're you've read it. Um, the Year of Magical Living by Joan Didion. No. So it's 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 really um, uh, it's a really lovely read, but it's basically about her. Um, uh, it's about her experience of grief um, with when her husband suddenly died. Um, the, the year the, of magical thinking, you mean? Uh, so, did you look it up? No, I just I just bought something on Audible. The year of magical thinking by John. Didion. That's it, John Didion. Yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. The year <laughs> of magical right. thinking. Yeah. Good, good. Okay, yeah. I'm so going it's, to it's start. Her, it's a really, um, it's a really moving, um, mm. but kind of interesting. You know, description of mourning and her experience of it. Tonight, I'm going to start listening to it. Paul, with all my heart, thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. And I, I hope to see you soon in real life. In real life. Yeah. I, th I think everyone in the world is looking forward to when we can, you know, easily see people again in real life. Absolutely. And still, <laughs> I mean, even in the hardest time, we still had a real taste of the beautiful soup you cooked for us. <laughs> Thank you so much. Paul. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you look you. after yourself, Sahara. <laughs>